Good morning, dear listeners. This is a critical mission of utmost importance. The very future of civil discourse between fan bases depends on it. We have solid intelligence suggesting that in recent times, arguments between fan bases of various popular franchises, and even within them, has grown hostile and prone to vile tongue lashings. Two spheres where this runs the risk of happening is between the James Bond and Mission Impossible fan bases. For the sake of common online and social media etiquette, this cannot come to pass. As such, the James Bond Complex has prepared a discussion of the original Mission Impossible television series with a special guest agent, Bill Koenig of the Spy Command blog. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to listen carefully to the hosts as they analyze the original TV series with a finely toothed comb, highlighting its many positives, thus demonstrating that one can, in fact, be a fan of multiple spy franchises simultaneously. As always, should you or any of your fellow fan-based friends be caught snickering or making sarcastic comments about how much one franchise is better than the other, the podcast will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, listeners. Dear listeners, and welcome back to the James Bond Complex, the podcast where we discuss, rejoice, and analyze in the James Bond phenomenon in all of its shapes and forms, from Fleming to films, and everything in between. Oh, oh, oh. oh. Uh, I'm one of your hosts. My name is Edgar. I'm Matt. Hi, Matt. Well, it's nice seeing you sitting right next to me. Oh, wow. <laughs> I feel really close to you right now. I feel six feet, brother. <laughs> uh, we, we, this is an in between, a very special in between. Uh, this is, I feel more like, uh, if, yeah, it's an in between, but it's it, it really is, close. Though. Yeah, it's like it, it's it's touching us. It's grazing us. It's almost. cousins. Yeah, like really close cousins. Yeah. like cousins that see each other like twelve times a year. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so in a, in a series, sort of, because uh, we have a returning guest with whom we spoke about a year ago about another '60s show. We have Bill Koenig. The Spy Commander, the Spy Commander, as I like to call you. Bill, welcome back to the show. Welcome back. Great to be here. Excellent. And you will be, just as last year, we basked in the glory. Is it been a year already? It was like a December, January recording. Oh, okay. It's like mid-October. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, We basked in the glory of your unparalleled knowledge of the man from UNCLE. Uh, this year we got a little bit bored with James Bond. I mean, there's no movie to talk about. So he said, what else can we talk about? We got it. What about those Tom Cruise movies? Then we came up with something even better. What about the Tom Cruise TV show? So the Tom Cruise <laughs> TV show? <laughs> yeah. yeah. When he was eight? <laughs> so Mission Impossible. We're going to be doing a, a deep dive into Mission Impossible. Uh, but before we do that, Bill, glad to know you're well. Glad to know you're surviving. Do you have any? Is there any? Are there any James Bond related subjects that we want to tackle for a couple minutes before we we light the fuse? We uh, we could talk briefly about uh, the most recent delay. Um, <laughs> yes. It um, about No Time to Die because you know I, I was I was convinced that they were not going to come out in November, but then mm. 
they started doing all this advertising. Yeah. But then it was pointed out to me that, yeah, but it's advertising by like the the partners, the you know the product tie-ins. Like Nokia did something with Lashana Lynch. Mm-hmm. Um, DHL. Had, uh, DHL was. In fact, DHL unveiled their ad on the day that the, <laughs> that the delay was announced. <laughs> Perfect. And there was like, what was it? There was some shoes. There was other stuff. And um, and so that got, and so it's like it was even wearing me down. I said, well, <laughs> maybe they might do it. And then, and then Bill, you know, Bill, I was actually re- we're actually recording a James Bond and Friends <laughs> podcast when the news got announced. Oops. So uh, that, that was uh, so. So then we we when we wrapped that up, that was one of the watch along series. Then I had to do an emergency podcast about the delay. So, <laughs> so did two podcasts in one day. Um, so yeah, it was. Uh, you know. I, I get, you know, it's since the announcement, of course, uh, COVID-19 cases have been getting worse and not just in the United States. It's, you know, going up in Europe. France just mm-hmm. announced a, uh, as we record this, this week, Paris is like has a 9 p.m. curfew. The City of yeah, Lights is that. putting them out <laughs> earlier yeah, than they usually do. Bitter twist of irony. Yeah. So I, I can't say I'm surprised. I guess it's for the best. Uh, now the question becomes: Well, are they going to make that April release? <laughs> Who knows? And I'm I'm not even want to think about that at this point. But uh. yeah, it's a bit of a tricky one. That one. I I don't think uh, the if I were to take a very very general pulse of the James Bond fan community, uh, I'm not getting the vibe that very many people believe in April. Yeah. I don't. I don't think you do, Matthew. Um, did I tell you that they announced the uh, 60th anniversary uh, James <laughs> Bond films? Uh, it's gonna what, be, what's it called? It's going to be called No Time to Die. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, for all those people who are worried about, well, gee, with this delay, No Time to Die, can they possibly have a 60th anniversary movie out in time? That problem may solve itself. <laughs> 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 terrible, terrible. It's 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 hilarious because it could be true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's I, I, the one the saving the silver lining. Not saving grace, but the silver lining is we're getting a little accustomed to these delays. So it's not like we're as annoyed as two or three delays ago or four delays ago. We're much less annoyed. There's obviously something much bigger at play. That being COVID nineteen. Right. That's the real villain. And and I think because we're still really in the unfortunately we're still really in the in smack in the middle of this pandemic. I don't think very many people are uh, ready to get too excited about April. I think everybody's like, "We'll get there when we get there, whatever." At least when we get out of this pandemic, there's a movie ready for us, you know, and we'll take it from there. I'm not I'm not sensing a whole lot of. Stress. We were talking about stress before we hit record, but I'm not sensing a whole lot of stress about No Time to Die. Honestly, I think, I think that people have much more important things to worry about than right. a silly James Bond movie for most people. Mm, mm. But it is funny about the marketing, though. That's 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 a lot of money spent. That was uh... see, I, I see. I think MGM or somebody 
probably should have alerted those guys. Guys, you might want to hold off on those ads <laughs> because you know you might just want to hold back. Just it's very you know, strange. Yeah. It's it's. Uh, I, I love the press release because it was MGM, uh, Universal Picture, and Barbara and Michael. Yeah, are announcing the delay. It was not Michael and Barbara are very proud. It was we're so excited <laughs> to bring you the movie in. And honestly, I I I would be surprised if it came out in, in April, even November 2021. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna bit I'm gonna put, put my money, money on 60th? November 2022. Actually, <laughs> not even April 2022, November 2022. That's only in two years from now. We can wait that long, right, guys? <laughs> right, guys? It's it's well, and and also, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, what if MGM gets sold? I mean, that's not a certainty. But mm. there were a couple stories that have come out in the last week or so. Mm. The it's Wall true. Street Journal had had a story that while it relied on anonymous sources, you know, sources it didn't identify, mm. it, it looked like a pretty well-reported piece to me. To my, you know, and you know, I. I, I do. I think it's true. I think that you know, MGM is owned by a bunch of hedge funds. Hedge funds typically hold on to something for maybe two, three years, and they sell it, flip it, make a profit. You know, those hedge funds have owned MGM now for ten years. That's a lot longer than hedge funds are used to doing. And you know, I, I, I think they probably thought, no time to die would come out. That would boost their earnings. That would make a better sales price. And now it's like, well, mm. that plan didn't work out so well. Um, mm. We'll see. We'll see. I'm, you know, I'm not predicting, but at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if there's an MGM sale. And if it and if it happens before No Time to Die comes out, well, that might complicate things. Because yeah. um, you got distributors anyway, we'll expecting see. to make a handsome bounty, most notably Universal, they're expecting to make a good chunk of change off of a James Bond movie, and suddenly they'd be tussling with another proprietor office yeah it's it's yeah. it's a hell of a time to be a james bond fan yeah <laughs> it's an interesting yes. time i don't know if it's a good time but it's an interesting time uh, so shall we shall we light the fuse Accept this mission, Mr. Shepu. <laughs> oh, me. <laughs> <laughs> if, if any of your associates are cut or killed, the, the uh, secretary will deny any action. Uh, I, I'm already denying them now. <laughs> I don't know these people. Uh, so I will. I will be the first one to talk, guys. I'm sorry. I'm the first one to talk. So, um, so we've decided to we we uh, you and I, uh, uh, Bill. Uh, we were chatting uh, over the past month or so over Twitter since I I handle you're the Instagram guy. I'm the Twitter guy. So you're the mouth. I'm the brain. You're, you're the portrait. 
Uh, the poor threat. Um, and so oh. I brought up the topic of, of bringing you back for, for some more spy-related James Bond-esque classics, and that's when the topic of Mission Impossible came up, and you uh, you were kind enough to, to take some time and, and curate not just you know what season you, you, you fancied, and we'll let you explain your reasons, but episodes in that season... And I was like, great, one-click buy on Amazon. And then it came came about one or two days later. I opened yeah. the package, and like Tom Cruise's face wasn't on the DVD <laughs> cover. I was a little disappointed. I have to thank who's you. This, who's this guy with the white hair? <laughs> Bill, ex- whatever we discussed, but excellent pick for the episodes. I had such a blast. Uh, unfortunately, I think we... We bought that season a little bit too early, because or we programmed this episode recording too early, because they're coming out with a Blu-ray with the entire like season, the remastered All seven seasons, yeah, in, in like a month November. or so, in some exactly. Yeah. And I'm, I, I, I've discussed it with Edgar, and I'm like, I'm actually tempted. Like, we could split the cost. Yeah, we split could. the cost. But uh, it's. it's yeah, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get, get there, there when we get there. We'll off my conversations yeah. about what the James Bond, what the where the budget of the James Bond com. When there's no Bond movie, the budget of the James Bond complex has by default has to go to other things. So, so, uh, <laughs> so Bill, you selected season two. Um, doing a little bit of reading, I started to maybe understand why you selected season two and not one. But we'll let maybe let you regale us in in what is Mission Impossible, where is it from, and who, who I, is Bruce Geller? Because his name comes up at the mm. end of every episode. Well, Bruce Geller was the creator of the show and he was the executive producer of the show. And his original uh, conception was actually it'd be a bunch of crooks. And it was called Briggs Squad in his very first incarnation in the writing phase. But then, you know, you had secret agents. Well, it's like make them secret agents. And so then they can do all sorts of illegal stuff, but they're still the good guys. <laughs> the audience will accept. So it's like, so yeah, they, they, they use du- dubious means, mm. illegal means, but yay, they're on our side. Um, so that's how that evolved. And so, um, so then it became Mission Impossible. And the original star was an actor named Stephen Hill, who's... Yeah, he's kind of like average looking. He's he's you know, but he was like a very intense actor. But he, <laughs> but he also had it written to his contract that he got off work at sundown on Friday for religious reasons. And well, filming the pilot that was no big deal. Filming a weekly TV series that kind of yeah. became a an issue. And also, he was kind of persnickety and you know. Per, perfectionist but sometimes would you know go to the wall to make his points okay. so um, so what happened was that scripts were then rewritten and uh, originally Martin Landau as Roland Hand you know he was in the pilot and it's like yeah we might bring him you know th- with the idea he'd come back maybe a few times as a guest star but he ended up coming back he was still billed as a guest star but he ended up in like more than 20 of those first <laughs> season episodes so um very popular you know, sort guest. Of like yeah <laughs> popular guest star. he's the only and, one that gets um, uh is uh, the, his character's name in the credits that's something i i uh, <laughs> I, right. I was like huh yes yes um and in fact when he 
got replaced after the third season, Leonard Nimoy succeeded him, and he got that same treatment. Leonard Nimoy as Paris. Anyway, but that. So anyway, um, at the end of the first season, Stephen Hill was fired, and so then they started looking for a replacement, and they settled on Peter Graves. And Peter Graves mm-hmm. had done an unsold pilot something called something titled call to danger and the idea was that the US government had a file on like everybody who had some kind of unusual or special talent and so peter so i guess in this unsold pilot i've i've only seen a few minutes of it that's all i can get my hands is on. it difficult to find is it uh... you can see the beginning of it on youtube okay um but you know it's you know if you got the whole thing, it's probably one of these places that deal in like you know things they've copied. <laughs> All right, gotcha. Probably. Um, anyway, CBS liked it. Bruce Geller liked it. Anyway, it was decided we'll go with Peter Graves. So and so uh, Stephen Hill's character was named Dan Briggs, and so then um, Peter Graves was Jim Phelps. And in the first season, ratings were like okay but not great and they moved it from saturday night to sunday night and the ratings went up and it was a certified hit and so part of the reason i i selected or suggested season two was because by that point um it was you had the most popular lineup of agents right uh with the arrival of peter graves and also it was probably from what i can tell the smoothest season behind the camera you know there hadn't been major changes in uh, the behind the scenes or behind the camera personnel so things were going pretty well Mm -hmm. and and of course some of the the plots and we'll get into individual episodes (laughs) are pretty outlandish but but people loved it that's something and um so yeah and so Martin Landau was brought aboard as a series regular, starting with with the second season. But he had great leverage. He um, says, "I'm on." I'm, he was able to do it on a season to season basis. Interesting. You know, he, he he was not locked into a long term. You know, typically in those days, it's like you know, seven year contract. So he wasn't locked into that. It was just he did his negotiations year by year. Interesting. Which, a little bit Roger Moore style. Very much so, and uh, but this caused problems later on. Um, but I don't, I, we can talk about that later after we talk about the second season. But like, how did, how, right now, how did Martin Landau get that privilege? Well, what happened was, you know, Mission Possible started as a Desi Lu show, as did Star Trek. They both came on at the same yep. time. Desi Lu had been kind of a sleepy place because you know in the late fifties very start of the 60s they were making a lot of shows they did more than just lucille ball shows but uh the thing was desi arnaz he was the creative guy and she was like the hard-headed businesswoman (laughs) and (laughs) they got divorced in 1960 Mm -hmm. and a year later she bought him out and so once Mm -hmm. he was gone desi lu as a actual maker of shows kind of tailed off they made most of their money you know they made the lucy show Hmm. but uh they were making most of their money renting out their studio lot to other shows like the andy griffith show the 
Um, I think the Dick Van Dyke show, I Spy later. They're huge um, shows. These are massive, uh, massively popular shows at the time. Yeah, and but but like I said, they weren't being produced by Desilu. They were just you know mm-hmm. filmed there. Mm-hmm. So, so in the fall of '66 or summer '66, is that when production was started? Suddenly, Desilu was a very busy place with two expensive by that era shows, you know, Star Trek and Mission Impossible. Um, so at one point then, in fact, in the middle of the season we're talking about, um, Lucille Ball sells Desi Lu, and she sold it to the company that was the parent company of Paramount. Okay. And Paramount was like next door to Desi Lu, so all they did was like knock out the wall between <laughs> them and, um... So you can actually see at the in the end titles of some episodes in this season, which was the 67-68 season, um, you see a Desilu logo at the end, and mm. then suddenly you're seeing Paramount Television. There you go. <laughs> and, that, and that's why. And so then later, the Paramount executives were kind of getting annoyed with uh, Martin Landau and, and how he kept holding him up for money because he actually had to, it happened two ways. One, he's getting more money, but also Peter Graves had in his contract, nobody can get paid more than me. So I when, love those contracts. I want one of those. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of a TV series thing. At least I don't know if it's still standard now, but it's, I've, I've heard of other examples like that. So, so Martin Landau is not only getting raises for himself. He's getting raises for Peter Graves. <laughs> Very, Martin Lando is known to being a very, very generous person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so finally, after the third season, Paramount decided to go, you know, they were going to have a showdown with Martin Landau. And and they're playing hardball. At one point, there was an offer, you know, you only get 13 episodes, and like, you know, roughly half of them. Mm. And Martin Landau didn't like this, and eventually the talks fell apart, and he's essentially forced out by the Paramount brass. Well, the problem was... Barbara Bain, who's also in the show, is his wife, oh, and and also very popular. And so, like, she walks out, and like the Paramount people, well, we have a contract with her. And like somebody mm-hmm. had to explain, she's married to the guy. You think she's going to hang around after what you did to <laughs> her husband? Whoops. Oops. You know. Um, <laughs> bad. So. Bad so anyway, the the that but that lineup in the second in third season of the agents that's the most popular lineup and so as i mentioned before so in the fourth season leonard nimoy replaces uh martin landau playing another character similar character but um and then like in the fourth season they had no regular woman agent they had a series of of uh Mm. you know they had like guest guest stars stars. that's what they were doing best anyways so yeah yeah, guest agents, you know, say so like Lee Merriweather and Anne Francis and uh, Dina Merrill. Um, you know, well, the ratings actually fell because Martin Landau and Barbara Bain were pretty popular. So then it's like, well, and so like from that point onward, it's never quite as popular as it was. And it always seemed like there was like some turmoil going on. Mm. You know, it's like Paramount wants to get the costs under control. And at one point, they locked Bruce Geller off the lot. And so now Bruce Geller continued to get credited as executive producer. This is like the fifth season or thereabouts. 
So Bruce Geller continues to get credit as executive producer, but he can't go on the lot. He can't that's work on his own show. That's crazy. <laughs> and, that's wild. That's yeah, so... and, and there was like, and it also chewed up producers. You know, people came in and out. Um, anyway, it it. Uh, but the thing is, Mission Impossible lasted seven seasons, and it was the it had the longest run of those sixty spy shows. Man from Uncle was three and a half seasons. Wild Wild West was four seasons. Um, Wild Wild West. I forgot that was a thing. <laughs> well, oh, oh yeah, know, it's a th thing. We're talking about seven seasons. Are they all as as lengthy as as season two? Now, to be fair, I, I, at the moment, Matt and me have, have limited ourselves to the to the uh, seven episodes you you curated. But you know, there are multiple discs in that box set. They're about twenty odd episodes. Are they all that long? Because each episode is about fifty odd minutes. Like minutes, that's yeah. a lot of TV. Seven. There, years. Were, there was not as many yeah. commercials back in the day. That's true. Yeah, because it's like today it's closer to like 43, 44 minutes yeah. for an hour show. Um, yeah, pretty much. I mean, they might have trimmed they might trim the running time in the later seasons, maybe forty nine minutes, forty eight minutes. But who's counting? It, but yeah, it's it's. But yeah, no, it was pretty much that same format. Would um, you say? Well, actually, I don't want to assume anything. Have you watched every season? Well, I watched every season original run. I've got on the DVDs. I have six of the seasons. Okay. That's why I'm, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued about this Blu-ray. Wow, maybe do I, do I <laughs> buy them again and get that one season I don't have? Yeah. Hey, it's mastered. Maybe. Are you remastering? Yeah, yeah they're remastering it oh. apparently. Yeah. We'll, we'll split the costs. <laughs> um, and uh, so as someone that has seen all the seasons, albeit maybe some more recently than others, would you? does the show decline in quality? Because oftentimes, you know, seasoned television viewers will often say, and I'm not one of them, but seasoned television watchers will often say, yeah, uh, X, show XYZ, yeah, that, those last couple of seasons, yeah, no wonder it ended after that. W it, was that the case with Mission Impossible or...? I, you know, I don't think they're as good as the earlier seasons, but I think, but they still have some, you know, maybe not as many good ones per season. But I mean, it's 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 not like it ever jumped the shark or anything mm -hmm. like that. Okay, cool. Um, they maybe got a little bit repetitive with some of the plots, um, but you know that tends to happen anyway. You know, long-running TV shows. Seven years, twenty episodes. We're fans of a movie that of a series that has twenty-five movies and plots. <laughs> so we won't blame Mitch Impossible seven seasons for recycling plots. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hello, Spy Who Loved Me, Moonraker. You only live twice. <laughs> um, also, in in the last two seasons, um, an edict came down. I think this was the CBS thing. I think they were getting a little uncomfortable. With all the foreign intrigue of, of them going into, you know, messing around in foreign countries, so mm -hmm. they decided to concentrate on organized crime, but they didn't want to call it the mafia, so they called it the syndicate. Now that name will be familiar to anyone who's seen the more recent Tom mm -hmm. Cruise films, because one of one of them, you know, used the syndicate as the you know the villainous organization they were dealing with, but that actually goes back to as a as a uh, it shows up in one of the version of the mafia. <laughs> well, I remember when uh, Ethan Hunt is like walking away at 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 the end of Ghost Protocol, like the final shot. He's walking away in the mist like a ghost, and yeah. and he's listening to a tape that's talking about the syndicate. And I remember at the time, I didn't that didn't mean anything to me, 
But I subsequently learned that that got fans of the show like really excited when Ghost Protocol mentioned with the with the tease of of the uh, of the syndicate. It's like it's like the show's specter kind of you know. Right, and also Ghost Protocol had used a couple of uh, bits of business based on the show. They just did it bigger and grander, and you know stuff you can mm. do on a movie budget with more advanced CGI. Right. Because in Ghost Protocol, there was that screen he put up. Oh yeah. To yes. fake people out. That's that. That was taken directly from a Is fourth it? season episode. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll and, talk and, about the mask making. Oh they, make a, they make a few masks in the episodes we've seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, excellent. I, oh, go ahead. I am. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about the in continuity. Did they explain where the uh, IMF came out from? Because I, I was reading on Wikipedia. I was reading also on Jim Phelps, the movie Phelps, and the original TV Phelps. Do they explain where? Because I, I had a feel. I, I've been watching way too much uh, stuff on World War II spy, but I had a feel that the the roots of the department or whatever it's meant to be had its roots in post World War II spy that probably form and I I think I've read some some things that apparently they allege I don't know if it's the Briggs character or the Phelps character that they were involved in the war I might be mistaken mm. uh, boy that's I'm not sure about that because um, I was actually rereading um, stuff from this one book. Um, If you're if you're seriously interested in Mission Impossible, and we're doing an audio recording, but you guys can see this on uh, this. Um, Mission this Impossible called, dossier. Nice. Yeah, it was published in 1991. I don't know if it's still in print or not, but uh, it's a it's a very good book and has a lot of behind the scenes details. Um, but um, well, what what you brought anyway. up, man, is kind of interesting because Jim Phelps. You know, he's just, there's some salt there. You know, it's it's not brown hair, so <laughs> he might be like, you know, maybe maybe in the the official mythology of the show, it's never explained. But it is an interesting theory because he's clearly of a certain age, you know, youthful yes. and, and energetic enough to be an in the field leader of the IMF, but suggests Season. that he's old enough that he's been around the block in this spy game. So yeah, it's, that's yeah. kind of cool actually. Yeah, I mean, you could have this fan fiction life. stuff. Oh, uh, yeah, you believe me, I have my own like prequel miniseries, and had in my head. So, hit me well, up in real cruise. life, in real life, Peter Graves was born in 1926, I believe. 26? And What? and he served during World War II. He and his brother, was, and his brother, okay. of course, being James Arness, um, mm. who played Matt Dillon in Gunsmoke. Mm, okay. Okay. Um. um Arness is closer to the real name. The actual real name is A-U-R-N-E-S-S. Um, James Arness just dropped the U. And then Peter Graves decided, I want to say it was his mother's maiden name, maybe. Graves. I'm, I'm not positive on that, but he chose something entirely different for okay. his stage name. It wasn't He just didn't go like, I want to be a badass, call me Peter Graves. No. <laughs> yeah. I know him mostly because he placed the old man in RoboCop. If I'm... <laughs> That's true. And well, if you've ever seen the movie Stalag 17, he's the uh, he's the mole the Germans put in, Interesting. The, in the barracks. That's, uh, that's been on the watch list for far too long. It's a Billy Wilder, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's one of his I haven't seen. I'm going to get around to that. Interesting. Okay. 
I've only anyway. recently uh, saw uh, Sun uh, 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 Boulevard. Uh, what's the oh, Sunset Boulevard? Sunset Boulevard. Nice. Recently, I just, what do you think? Uh, I loved it. That's ah, awesome movie. I freaking love that movie. Back to Mission Impossible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I one thing oh, I, I was telling Edgar about that, but one thing that I'm I enjoyed is, uh, with the gadgets, how chancy and sort of wanky and not sexy at all. Like everything that they use functions but it feels like it's somebody that you know put a, something together like with a couple of uh, straws a piece of metal there maybe some wiring and it, it looks like okay it's gonna do its job but it, it's only made to do this one thing and after that's gonna be tossed in the garbage all the gadgets are very <laughs> yeah. analog uh that when the episode they 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 actually have uh what i could call a computer virus but it's those file card that they use back in the day for computers yes. Yes. i was yeah. i, I was was slap happy i mean this I, i saw that show when i was a kid with my my father and i always tell that uh, my, i love movies because of my dad but but my dad it doesn't get into movies and post production or stuff like that but he just i, I say that my dad there's two ways he can enjoy a movie uh he uh, just lean back and relax and sort of bored or he just needs a quarter of the seat and uh, the next level he needs a quarter of the seat and he slaps his Ty uh, laughing and the Mission Impossible. I like the Blu-ray that they announced. I might actually get it from my dad because they, they, they they're going to have the French track for him. Uh, but I'm like, this is typical dad TV classic 60s. It's I had such a blast. I'm like, oh my god, this is such. <laughs> it, it, it's so relaxing and not like it's easy to watch. It's not overly complicated, but it's fun. It's mm. it's it, the look of it. It's brilliant the colors and the writing uh, you mentioned star trek i'm a huge trek fan and i heard you might be able to confirm that but i heard that the writing staff of star trek and mission impossible at one point were like on top of each other or next door and they sort yeah. of collaborated somewhat <laughs> in some of the scripts and i was like watching it and i i could see shades of star trek and mission impossible interesting Well, and, and one of those first season uh, episodes, um, George Takei is one of the guest agents. I mean, really? you know, they're filming it. They're filming at the same studio, yeah. so yes. it's like you know, it's not like mm. you know, he had to go out of his way and could, nice. right, they could probably like make time for him over on Star Trek. For the I guess be so. the guest agent on that one episode. And yeah. George, George Takei was an awesome actor. I saw Batman. Mark Leonard also show up. Showed up. And um, what's his face uh, from License to Kill is also in Anthony <laughs> Zerby. Yeah, he's in one of the movies, uh, Insurrection. So there's there. I, I felt because uh, it's a multi-racial cast, also to right. some degree. Yeah. Um, and you know, one of the edict of Star Trek is that there's no inner turmoil in the team. They they they're always together as one unit. I'm like, this is. It echoes into a Mission Impossible, and I was like, "I what? My favorite episode is actually the town. I love that episode, even though there's some silly moments uh, in the conclusion. But I was like, it, I, I I just enjoyed them working together quickly, assembling, coming up with a plan, and it's like a heist movie. Every episode is like a mini heist. It's just." fun to watch i'm like oh oh that's that's what they're doing and you think they're getting caught and they're not it's part of their plan i just oh it's brilliant so much fun in the pilot which which bruce geller wrote um 
they steal two atomic bombs from this <laughs> dictator and an unfriendly Caribbean nation. <laughs> and Unnamed. So, so like, you know, so like, okay, how do you top stealing two atomic bombs once you go to a regular series? Yeah. Well, so the show got remade to being more of a con and heist thing because so in other words oh yeah the, you know the MacGuffin whatever they're after it's behind some impenetrable barrier or whatever it's like you can't break into that you get you con them to giving it to you mm. so, no it's really and, really cool yeah it, maybe generally before we, we get into the to, into the episodes what do Bill what do you like particularly about Mission Impossible what what really gets you when it comes to Mission Impossible the teamwork, um, the um, and and also they would so like the episodes usually have what is dubbed the apartment scene. So hmm. it's you know whether it's Briggs or Phelps, it doesn't matter because it's the same apartment. And uh, <laughs> oh, and they give you like these little teases of the plan, but you don't know the plan. But it's like okay, but enough to whet your appetite. Hmm. So now it's like okay, how is this going to play out? And like often you would like you'd go into commercial and somebody's in like a very dangerous situation and then but then it turns out oh that was part of the plan <laughs> that does happen <laughs> a lot actually yeah <laughs> I love and when so, things don't go according to plan and you have to see you see the agent improvising something there's one moment yeah. where I don't I don't want to go through but the, I I enjoy that yeah. And um, and also the cast was very appealing. And you know one of the most popular people, and it doesn't sort of logically it doesn't make sense is Peter Lupus as Willie, the, the strong guy. And it's like you know, in a lot of episodes he gets very little dialogue. And yep. a lot of episodes, you know, there's only so many things you need his strength for. And so a lot of a lot of episodes, eh, he's just helping out. Greg Morris <laughs> they're like you know while everyone else is like kind of leading the con they're like mm. in a tunnel or somewhere <laughs> else you know, do, you know that's true doing something uh, Greg I, Morris he, and Peter Lupus are kind of like the Chekhov and Sulu of uh, the cast they're like <laughs> eh. but 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 Peter Lupus proved to be very popular and it was just I, there was just some kind of innate likability that you know, for whatever pe reason, people liked him. In the fifth season, they actually attempted to phase him out. Is that so? And 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 they were and they were using a 25-year-old, clean-shaven Sam Elliott. Oh. And of course, he wasn't. <laughs> what? <And> he was <laughs> clean-shaven. That's the part I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, so if you see one of those, it's like oh, Sam Elliott. That doesn't. <laughs> um, but it didn't take people. They wanted Willie back, so he does have a certain <laughs> charisma about him. He does have a yeah. certain charisma. He's he's not. Uh, I feel, and this is probably the testament to his quality as as an actor, is that he's quote the heavy of the team. But there's some charisma there. You can tell there's a there's a mind there. There's a brain. Just the way he looks, the the way he's looking around, the way he behaves, his physical um, um, acting. It's he's still a good actor, even though for all intents and purposes. He's the muscle, because uh, you got yeah. actors who are hired sometimes in James Bond movies. <laughs> They're the muscle, and there's really not much there 
I could tell there was something there with Lupus. I could tell there was some talent there as an actor, as a thespian. It was interesting. They're charismatic. They're yeah. iconic. That's the thing. I, I'm surprised. Okay. I never watched the entire show. I, not uh, so far now, but eventually I might. Uh, uh, but I'm surprised because it's the, icon, the, the lineup that we have for season two is the lineup that I remember. It's the lineup that I've seen spoofed. Yeah. But it's only in the first three seasons. That's uh, that mm. astounds me. Uh, and Lupus and Greg Morris, uh, all of them are are you know. I, I was surprised how much I liked uh, Martin Lando. I um, I was I, honestly I was surprised how much of a good actor uh, he was even at the time. Like he's not an actor I've been I've gravitated towards my adult life. But I'm like oh wow he was great like generally great. You can see them playing their Roland and a Cinnamon Carter, but when when they have a part, they're actually they're, they're actors. I was I'm like, oh, actually, spies would make great spies because not only do they have to act a part, but most of the time, actors have to learn. Oh, I need to learn to to ride a horse. I need to shoot a gun. I need to learn this that. They they come. They they actually learn multiple skills that could be useful for spies. So I'm like, oh, that's that's kind of brilliant. Because I think his background is in theater. It shows the man with a thousand face. I think even Cinnamon uh, as as some act acting background. Yeah, yeah, she's oh, a yeah. former model or actress. Oh, yeah, but all of them are always doing accents. It must have been like a fun show for an actor to make. That yeah. like P like uh, Peter Gray's one point he's doing a, a sort of. German German Russian accent but he's playing a cop <laughs> uh eventually you have uh you have Roland playing a mobster getting plastic surgery <laughs> to look yes. like that, that was I was, was needlessly complicated con yes. but I, I had fun I was like oh that's kind of cool Roland became Roland becomes the mobster who then becomes Roland. Non Roland. Yeah. <laughs> it's like what is happening? Uh. <laughs> right. And 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 in the apartment scene, you know, that's a two parter. You know, like gave you hints of this, but like what the hell are they doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I believe in the batch of episodes you selected for us, but I think that's the first time they make a mask. Uh, I it I felt like so. that. I it, think. it they Put a lot of emphasis on the uh, the exactly. mask creation that the, in the later episode they don't. They just have some plaster, and 15 minutes later they have a fully baked, super re ultra realistic mask. Uh, yeah. But still, I mean, I I, I had fun. Like I love old, old special effects like that, uh, even though it's it's non realistic. But I, you know, I, I, it was something cool to see somebody make mask and oh, it's, like he's painting. He's, he's painting. I'm like, well, what do you think? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it was yeah. Today you'd have like a little 3D printer fabricate the mask. Isn't oh, that yeah. what they have in one I of the movies? I think they start that in three or four yeah it's huh. and there's the mask it's, it's quite something <laughs> but but it was it was one of those things where um i wasn't exactly sure what they were doing for the during the first few cuts and it was only like by the third or fourth cut i was like no way they're making the mask this isn't like in the movies <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. So it was a very interesting discovery. It's it's. I, but on the topic of the films, it didn't take me very long to just forget about them. And it wasn't like oh, this is slower. Oh, this doesn't have as many explosions. It's so well written. It's so cleverly devised. The, the the plots are so diverse. The cast is so charming. I mean, midway through the first episode you suggested, I was like, you know what? I'll rewatch the movies whenever. Yeah. I'm enjoying this right I, now. They're you know, completely like, different. They're, they, they, some, you know, it's, especially when I think about the second film, they feel so non-related to uh, what you're watching on a TV show. The TV show is all about plot, about the the situations and like i said the gadgets so the, the, the episode with the cat i love oh, that episode they what? have a cat to perform an, a heist i'm like <laughs> i was looking at that cat and i was like oh man <laughs> it's, it's so crazy what is happening <laughs> the, the writers of a number of the episodes i picked um they were a writing team william reed woodfield middle name spelled r-e-a-d and alan balter and Woodfield was an incredibly uh, colorful character in his own right. You know, you could probably do a book or a movie about him because at one point he was a photographer, he was nice. a magician. Oh, he was, oh, well, uh, the, the magician part is interesting, though. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and, and really, in, yeah, and, and just, just a very colorful character. And then Balter... He was, uh, I, I guess, uh, Woodfield was kind of gregarious and outgoing, and Balter was quiet. I mean, they were a contrast in personalities, but they worked pretty well as a team. Their partnership lasted about 10 years. And uh, Balter has a James Bond connection. He was married to Lana Wood briefly. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite character of our, um, our in our MI, what am I doing, uh, IMF? force uh, our team mm, boy i'm not sure i you know i i like them all they're all very likable. they're cool and yeah. um you know I, I i can't really say um i will say in that first season with stephen hill as as briggs there's a certain he seemed like colder and like a little more ruthless i mean phelps can be pretty ruthless too mm -hmm. but, but but briggs seemed a little, a little more so, and I found that interesting. It, it, you know, it's probably a shame that you know he he blew a chance to be a star of a long-running TV show, but you know, that's life. Um, and who knows if the show would have ever been as popular if he hadn't left and Peter Graves came in, but. Well. Exactly. You know, there may be a parallel universe where there's a seven-season version of the original show with with the with the first actor. But I I, I thought, I, I, do you have a favorite action character? Mm, I, I, honestly, Roland End is especially in the town episode. I just love that episode so much you see him taking charge i'm like i saw shades of the movie in that episode because he's like the mask guy but i saw yeah, also yeah. his sense of observation his quick thinking mm -hmm. i'm like this is proto what eventually tom cruise is going to mm -hmm. try and portray uh I, it, it's God. also the episode where they're not really on a mission and tom cruise never, never seems to be on a team <laughs> in the movies so it's like oh this kind of feels like one of the movies actually they're not on a mission yeah you know, but it's, it brings uh, brings in uh, the other people, and it felt very spy. But it, it 
it featured that character very well uh and you know their their sense of uh uh camaraderie um mm. they they look he truly cared for for jim phelps when he's uh yes. taken ill and i was like uh that's interesting I and really... he takes it upon himself to, to bring the team together. Yeah. He, make, he makes that call to Cinnamon. Now, he suspects with good reason that, that the, his call is probably going to be listened in on. Yeah. So he speaks to her in like yes. a semi-code. Little Willie. And, yeah, bring Little Willie. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, so they must have improvised that plan to rescue Phelps. <laughs> you know, some, oh, that's, that's some pretty quick thinking. It's 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 just I love characters who are light on their feet. They can improvise a great plan. It's just like that's the best part of a heist movie. But seeing them not having like a four like three weeks to plan. You have three minutes to come up with a plan to extract this man and stop yeah. the assassination. It's just it was it's religiously my my favorite episode all the other ones are good but this one i really gravitated to the the urgency uh, of that um, situation and uh, the sense of immediacy that they have so yeah uh, that's my favorite character also do you have one do i have one uh that's one of those questions where when i asked it the thing was like well i want their answers and the next thing i said was like oh crap i'm gonna have to answer it and i don't know what the answer is um who is my favorite character i do like barney almost more because because of his voice than anything else he sounds like a chimney it's like really cool and uh yes the cat's ready rusty fetch <laughs> uh i thought barney was kind of cool um, I do like Jim Phelps, though. There is something about his, um, he's kind of like a Captain America type of character, or like tough, resourceful, smart, athletic, but a good human being at the end of the day. Like, he's a good guy. I sort yeah. of, that's, that kind of spoke to me, so I, I, get, I, I, I suppose I'll go with the leader, which, Jim Phelps. Which is why some of us got pissed off at that first Tom Cruise Mission Impossible movie when they made Phelps the villain. <laughs> we'll let you like, guess the little conversation me and Matt. Well, let's bring it in. Maybe we don't we don't want to divert too much away from the show. I'd love to talk about the '80s revival uh, a little bit because you mentioned that's that's true. It was on for two seasons, and they brought Peter Graves back, and and also part of his new team was Barney's son. And of course, hmm. in real life, the actor was the son of the actor of the original. And they actually did uh, an episode where Greg Morris was in it. Interesting. Um, as, as Barney? As Barney, yeah. It was, it was actually a remake of a, a episode from the original series uh, where uh, a friend of Phelps is, is in bad trouble and Phelps, you know, he... He asks the team to show up, and he says, you know, you guys don't have to do this, but it's just a friend of mine. There's nothing at stake more than that. And, of mm -hmm. course, and of course, they're going to help out. <laughs> that's, that's, that's how they are. Mm -hmm. um, so they remade that where Barney is in a similar predicament. Oh, and okay. so Phelps's new team has to, um, you know, get him out of it. Right, right. At one point, you know, he, he is reunited with Phelps. Barney is. And and it's been years since I've seen this, but something like, I thought you retired. And Phelps <laughs> says, you never really retired. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. then a few years later, when <laughs> they go to Prague, yeah. well, 
<laughs> Although it's not the same actor. So do we want to get into this a little bit? Yeah, we'll, we'll, I do. we'll circle back to the show, but uh, Yeah. Well, just just I'll just say I was so mad. I was so mad and I thought this is preposterous. <laughs> and it's just so I refused to see and still haven't seen number 2 and 3. I didn't go because yeah, I was so annoyed with the that whole idea. And then but then Ghost Protocol came out, and it was Brad Bird's, the director, his live-action debut. Yep. So I like Brad Bird mm. as a director. All right, I'll go see it. I'll go see it. And then that's when I saw, oh, they reworked some stuff from the show, and it's kind of like, well, I took it. Maybe they didn't intend it, but I took it as like, well, here's an apology. Yeah, Mission <laughs> Possible fans of the show, we're yeah. sorry. Mission Possible 2 is definitely not the apology. No. <laughs> Mission, Mission, like Mission I believe, Possible Three, maybe kind of an apology, but not really. Mm, I, I believe I, I believe Mission Impossible Two for Die in the Dirty, uh, and uh, like a lot of crappy like early two thousand action movies, like the Triple yeah. X movies. Um, Your favorite? Yeah, my favorite. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I I actually enjoyed the movie, but it's feels like they wanted to do what they actually had done with the Star Trek TV show. Uh, I feel like, I don't, I might be mistaken there, uh, but it feels like they wanted to bring um, the, so, sort of do a continuation of the TV show, but when they deviated so much from the original characterization that and when none of the actors wanted to come back uh, and either be killed or be portrayed as villains that they... Uh, let's bring John Voight in to play our new Mr. Phelps. Great um, actor. Great actor. Because uh, it, 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 like you said, it, the characterization is different. Like I'm, I'm reading. Like I read the first couple chapters of the novelization. Not only is he younger than the uh, TV version, because he's like, he's just, just turned sixty uh, in, in the novelization. Uh, he's in the movie. He's actually very bitter and. Yeah. Uh, well, also, nasty. It, I mean, P.O.S. My vague recollection of that first movie is that he talks about, oh, I, I was never paid more than $60,000 a year. Like, whoa, whoa, time out, time out. Um, because, you know, the way Geller conceived, you know, the IMF, they were like, you know, they, they weren't really on the payroll. It's not like they're drawing a salary mm. from, from the government. It's kind of like, this is the government's last resort. And so we're kind of going to this off-the-books group. Yeah, yeah. And they probably had to pay them a lot of money in hazard pay. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, I would think the same thing. Do you... Because... Oh, go ahead, Because Barney, he was, he was, a, he owned his own company. You know, I mean, these, and Rollin was a successful performer. I mean, these people, they were doing it for the... They were doing it for some <laughs> other, you know, they were not civil servants. That's like... Anyway. The need of the third. Would you consider? So for you, is is the first film? Is that canon? Is that in universe? Or is it? You know what? The only way I can accept this is that this is a parallel universe. This is a multiverse of Mission Impossible's, and we are not in the '60s and '80s TV show. I can rationalize it that way. That's 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 the best I can do. Interesting. Because, it's um, not the same actor. It's to me. It's true. Good. That's what help. Well, helps well, or it doesn't help. I guess depend on your point of view. But yeah, I, I would agree with that. The fact that it's not, uh, not Greg Morris. Um, well, well, at one point it appeared Phelps had been killed. I thought, oh, of course they're getting rid of Phelps, so Tom Cruise can be the star. Okay, fine. I, I can accept that. But then Phelps comes back. <laughs> He's not really dead. I thought, oh. 
this is bad. You could feel it. You could feel it. <laughs> I had this feeling, oh, this is not this is not good. This is not good. Yeah. I actually I I'm gonna say something sacrilegious, but you know, I take it as a parallel universe type of thing. To me, it's a, the, the 60s uh, show and uh, the movies are completely different. I can separate them in my mind. But as, uh, you know, for, for, for newer audiences, I, I consider myself a newer audience. But I, we have a friend uh, uh, that never saw the original show. He, I, I don't think he knew about the that there was a show before. And he said, oh, it's so obvious in the first one that it's Mr. Hunt is the, the, the bad guy. And I was like, no, you don't understand. And I'm like... Uh, this you were the target audience, uh, and to a degree I was because normally normal kids my age probably didn't watch Mission Impossible reruns, and I was like, oh, that's you know, it's a twist that you know when you're reinventing for a, for a live action for, for for a feature film like oh, it's you know you, I can see their reflection, but also it's a major insult to to original fans, but it kind of works. Um, I, 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 I actually really enjoyed the first one. I love everything in Prague is beautifully shot, and I am I'm actually a big the Palma fan. Um, so yeah. I, 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 it's not my favorite film, but I, I still I, everything in Prague is so beautiful, yeah, it's it's really stuff. shot. It's uh, mm. but well, we saw it in, in uh, for the brief spell that cinemas were back open in Montreal. Oh, it was one of too. the old, I like to call them oldies but goodies. And they played the first one. We actually went to see it together. We had a pretty good time. Yeah. I hadn't seen it in a few years. I had a really good time. Yeah. No offense, Bill. I had a good time with the first. No, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but I hadn't, but I hadn't bought season two on DVD at that point, so I did not know. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. And um, oh, real quick on that revival in the '80s. Um, one thing that happened was uh, there was this long writer strike, and and originally it was supposed to be like a hard reboot it's like we're starting over mm -hmm. they would actually have the original character names with new actors okay. but then for whatever reason they decided to bring peter graves back as jim phelps okay and you know in the first episode i guess if i remember right phelps's protege had been killed by this one guy and Interesting. you know that's that that's what brought phelps back into the fold well what happened was okay you can't write new scripts because there's a writer's strike, but you could remake scripts. And if you were like a producer who was also a writer, you could rewrite an old script. So originally they did remakes of scripts from the oh. original show. And so, and in fact, one of them I remember was a remake of a Woodfield Balter episode from the first season. Now, by this point, Walter had passed away. He, he died in 1981. He died in his 50s. He died pretty young. He had heart issues. But Woodfield was still around. And Woodfield refused to have his name on that, on that show. Mm. He just, like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm a loyal, you know, Writers Guild member. It's like, no, you, you know, I can't stop you from rewriting it. But, you know, you're not going to put my name on right. it. So, um, That's interesting. If you don't know that backstory about the writer's strike, though, you would think it's it's it reeks of just pure laziness. But that that does put it into context. Yeah. Uh, I guess they could have held off on doing the show until after the writer's strike. But you got to make money. <laughs> I get yeah. generate content. I was not aware that the 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 uh, the, uh, the episode with uh, the Morris uh, father and son back well together for the first time on the screen. I, I was aware that it was a remake, but I didn't know they they actually remade a bunch of episodes for. Yeah. Wow, that's 
I can see why it failed uh, after two <laughs> seasons. Yeah. It, it's, uh, you're, you're just regurgitating stuff from the 60s uh, with 80 Sheen. I can see why people weren't... Well, uh, well, one thing they... I don't think they necessarily understood the original show either because there's a stylistic thing in the, throughout the series. Like in that apartment scene, the apartment is like mostly black and white stuff. And everybody is dressed in like black, white, or gray, okay. or silver, and like that was a very deliberate style thing. It was like, it was a Bruce Geller invention. Was so the idea was while you're doing that apartment scene, you're contrasting the the faces and the color in the faces of the cast mm. with their you know monochrome <laughs> black and white wardrobe, and then when you cut to the next scene, it's like all in color, and it's you know it's kind of an effect. And, you know, but like when they did that revival, it's like, no, I, like, guys, don't you know about wearing the black and whites? No, mm. Apparently they didn't because. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We need to, we need to go to a commercial break, guys. Well, but, <laughs> we have so much more so to much say. So much tension, suspense. We're going to release that tension in a week from now. This is how it's going to be. So uh, listeners and viewers of Mission Impossible, tune in next week. Uh, we have people everywhere. Uh, JamesBondComplex.com, which is the Tumblr account. Uh, Twitter, at the Bond Complex. Facebook, the James Bond Complex. Instagram, which is your baby, at the James baby. Bond Complex. The beautiful baby. <laughs> You're a very good father, by the way. Um, we have YouTube, the James Bond Complex, Spotify, Anchor.fm, uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, no, hold on, Google Podcasts, then Apple Podcasts. Um, search for the James Bond Complex, rate, subscribe, and leave a f five matches. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't sound as good as blowing no, gun five, review. Though. Five fuses. Five fuses. Yes, thank you. Five fuses. Uh, and when they blow up, hopefully we'll still be around. Uh, I'm on online. I'm on Instagram at Edgar Chapu SOS. Matt O'Claire with two T's, double seven. Fan, uh, Bill, uh, do you want to let the for the first time? Do you want to let listeners know where you are online? Hmssweblog.wordpress.com. Um, <clears throat> uh, I have some other sites, but you know, there you can click on them on the left side of the page. And then I'm also at, on Twitter at, at the Spy Command. Awesome. And uh, so, uh, Bill, I got the couch nice and ready for you, for you to sleep for for the week, the next week, until we reconvene. I thought it was my couch. Well, I... Why am I going to sleep? I only have one couch. Um, uh, you're still living in the bathtub. I'm taking your bed. You're taking my... Well, <laughs> well off mic conversations. Okay, people. Uh, so, until next week, uh, merci, toujours un plaisir, à la prochaine. Au revoir. Septicenic plague. Are you sure? No doubt about it. It's the most virulent kind of plague there is. A carrier just has to touch you, and you've got it. 
That explains the jobs we're being trained for. See, each one of these jobs has one thing in common. Wide human contact. Dancer in a discotheque. Fry cook handling food all day. Librarian. Vendor in a ballpark. Each of these jobs involves hundreds, if not thousands, of contacts a day. I think that each of these trainees is going to be infected with a plague without knowing it. He'll be sent to the United States thinking he's on some kind of espionage mission or something, but before he dies, he'll infect thousands, who in turn will infect thousands more.